0: with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hey there, hi there, ho there, and welcome to episode 220 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, executive producer and good friend, Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, Michael? I'm doing well. Thank you. Boy, did we get a lot of positive feedback about that thumbnail photo. for last week's episode on the history of test track where we saw a young craig so tell us the story of that photo oh i i
1: think it was my roommate and his girlfriend now wife uh Garrett and Allison that took that picture one day when they were visiting me, I think. Uh, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure on that. Uh, it's, I, I, just, it was me at the, uh, at the merge point where the fast pass line and the, the regular line came by, uh, together before you go into all of the, uh, the briefing rooms for the pre show. So, it it was i mean i kind of look like i was caught off guard with it because i i kind of was but uh, i i wish i had more photos of when i worked at test track but like that was 2010 so you know iPhones were around and such but a lot of the a lot of the phones back then just did not take great pictures and so it was like every now and then people would actually like people that i was friends with would come uh to the parks with their you know, with their small point-and-shoot cameras and and get some photos. But yeah, I really, I don't have that many photos of me for when i am actually worked there. But that that was a, a decent one where I didn't look absolutely ridiculous. So I figured, why not share it? Share how much I've changed. If you watch our uh, Diz Unplugged videos and you can see me now, it's hard to believe that there's that same youthful person who <laughs> was... Who just had so much joy to be working at test track <laughs> but yeah it's a it's a good photo, I like it it is
0: it is it's it's adorable. I sent you a text message you did, about, yeah, <laughs> that I just thought it was so precious <laughs> so, anyway but but well we're 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 heading back to the other side, the other kingdom in this episode. So Craig, if you had to rate
1: your favorite thrill rides in visiting Disneyland, how would you rate them? Okay, this is this is so tough. Um because, you know, that I consider Indiana Jones Adventure a thrill ride because mm-hmm. it is extremely thrilling and that's always going to be number 1 for me. Uh and then after that, it kind of it kind of gets jumbled and it's there's there's the different factors that play in. Like if I want a mild thrill, you know, of course I want to ride on Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. And if I want to kind of make myself a little bit dizzy now that I'm getting older, then I'll go over to I almost wanted to call it California Screaming, but the Incredicoaster. Uh, but if I want that like nostalgia, then of course I would want to stay in Disneyland and do the first steel roller coaster in Disneyland, the Matterhorn.
0: Yeah, the Matterhorn is at the top of mine. And then it's Big Thunder, Indiana Jones, which I it didn't occur to me to put it in there, but you're absolutely right. And then it would be um, Space Mountain and Incredicoaster, which actually I've not been on the Incredicoaster yet. And um, just because I get a little dizzy on that. And I do on Space Mountain as well. But no, definitely for me, the Matterhorn is a must-do. And so we begin today's episode with the opening of Disneyland in 1955. And as wonderful and magical as Disneyland was, Walt wanted more. Due to a lack of money and time, projects had to be prioritized for the park to open on time, and Walt was forced to leave some projects on the drawing board or open them as incomplete. So over the first few years, Walt focused on what he viewed as the problem areas of the park, and he introduced new attractions like the Storybookland Canal Boats in Fantasyland and Tom Sawyer Island, the Mine Train, and the Pack Mules in Frontierland. But there was one area of the park that really bothered Walt. The mound of earth between Fantasyland and Tomorrowland, left over from the days of the park's original construction of the moat for Sleeping Beauty Castle. This area went by many official and unofficial names in the early years of the park including Holiday Hill, Lookout Hill, Snow Mountain, Mount Disneyland, Echo Mountain, and the Walterhorn, which was a Swiss take on Walt's name. Guests and cast members could take a stroll and picnic on Holiday Hill, and some referred to it as Makeout Mountain. And there were rumors some smoked legal and illegal substances (laughs) out of view on the hill. "'Walt would sit on a bench in the park and gaze at this mound of dirt "'and imagine what he could do with it. "'One day Imagineer Harriet Burns was in the park "'and saw Walt sitting on the bench looking at this area of the park "'and asked Walt what he was looking at. "'My mountain,' he replied. "'Another day Walt was looking at Holiday Hill with Joe Fowler and asked, "'Do you suppose we could get some snow and have a toboggan ride here?' Joe went on to explain to Walt the complexity of the machinery needed to generate and maintain that much snow for a toboggan ride. Not to be discouraged, Walt began to refer to this area as Snow Hill. Walt would take his family to Europe for vacations because he was less recognized there and could relax. He had become infatuated with the charm, style, and landscape of Switzerland. So much so that for his People and Places short-subject documentary series, Walt produced a film titled Switzerland in 1955 that explored the beauty of the Alpine setting and the local customs of the people. In 1956, Walt had the Fantasyland Skyway Station designed in the style of a Swiss chalet the Skyway created even more of a problem for Holiday Hill because a Skyway tower now stood atop the hill and was visible from the hub, which Walt considered an eyesore. The studio was filming Third Man on the Mountain starring Michael Rennie, James MacArthur, and Janet Monroe, and Walt spent a great deal of time in Zermatt, Switzerland during the filming in 1958. The focus of the film was Matterhorn Peak, which is part of the Swiss Alps standing on the border between Switzerland and Italy. Walt was so mesmerized by the majesty of the peak that he sent a postcard of the Matterhorn Peak to Imagineer Vic Green with the notation, Vic, build this. Some resources report the postcard actually had only two words, build this. Well, Back in those days, that picture postcards as Walt's simple message was all it took for Wed Imagineering to spring into action to build Disneyland's first thrill ride. Vic Green was assigned as the project's art director and Admiral Joe Fowler was put in charge of construction. This would be the most complex project Wed had worked on up to this time. Imagineer Bob Gurr was assigned to work on designing the bobsled ride, and in an interview with E-Ticket Magazine, recalled that designing the bobsled track plan was probably the hardest project I ever worked on. I had failed geometry one in high school and had to teach myself trigonometry to design the track. Can you imagine today, do you think just a postcard would uh, would trigger such a
1: um, huge construction project, Craig? Um, you know, I <laughs> guess right now in the Disney company, it would require that to come from Bob Chapek, and uh, I don't know if any of the Imagineers would currently just bend over backwards for him, necessarily, <laughs> so I'm going Are there enough left? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say absolutely not, but at the same time, too, I'm- I'm hopeful that, you know, there's, there's someone out there who, uh, eventually will take over the Disney company one day and have this kind of, you know, have that kind of go getter attitude that they want to push people in imagineering and in all the divisions to to be the best that they can be and something like this could actually happen again one day. I think I think it's inevitable. It'll happen eventually, but we just we might have to go up and down some some Matterhorns before we get to it. Yeah. We had Bob Gert on
0: I don't know if it was this show or the Disneyland show. And and one of the things he talked about was the Matterhorn and how the uh, the dimensions of the mountain were determined before the plans for the bobsled track. And then as they tweaked the mountain, he had to keep tweaking his plans for the track. And so it was like every day sometimes for a period of time, he was given the new plans for, okay, this is how the mountain is going to be now. And then he had to go back and rejigger everything because he had because th- to make sure that the track would work
1: with the new construction design oh man mm-hmm. that is so, uh, I can't even imagine doing that, but I mean it's also too it was something that they had never done before, so it was another groundbreaking experience i mean there wasn't really a lot of precedents for them. Uh, doing doing a project like this so i guess that's the only way they could do it so it's a testament to how talented bob gerr and others were that they could still make a roller coaster that worked and Mm -hmm. not only worked but won over people and still works to this very day oh yeah absolutely um, drawings in two dimensions
0: were inadequate to fully design the three-dimensional mountain that had to be built to house the bobsled ride, and this was before the creation of computer design software now commonly used for theme park attraction design. To complicate the design process, this was not a typical symmetrical show building with square corners. So Imagineer Fred Jugger and other Imagineers in the WED model shop constructed several models to get a three-dimensional view of how to move forward with design and construction of the attraction. Well, back in 1953, Walt had established a relationship with design engineers Ed Morgan and Carl Bacon of Arrow Development. And they built many of the early attractions for Disneyland, including Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, the Mad Tea Party, Dumbo the Flying Elephant, and the Casey Jr. Circus Train. So Walt approached them about creating a roller coaster ride inside a concrete mountain. Since they had never designed a roller coaster, they had the advantage of not being restricted by traditional roller coaster design thinking and planning. That was always a theme that came up in the early construction of Disneyland. Since they had never done it before, they weren't restricted by thinking, mm-hmm. uh, you know, of, of how should we do this? So they, they, they didn't know what they didn't know, so they just went ahead and built it.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it's it is fascinating that they were able to get it to all come together in that method. But I mean, even now, when everything is planned out to the, you know, to the millimeter on how they want something to be and the fact that, you know, it, it's just it comes out perfect. Like I they're both they're both just masterful ways to produce this art. And I am just fascinated by it. As someone who wanted to get into engineering to try to be able to create this stuff, um, I, I I just blown away by it. And I don't know how it comes out of out of these humans and their brains and in the hands of the people who created it. And clearly, I mean, it, nothing's coming out of my brain. So that's why I'm sitting <laughs> here talking about it. <laughs> well, you create wonderful art through videos. Thank you, so. Michael. <laughs>
0: Now, Walt's requirements were simple. It had to be safe, fun, travel within and around a replica of a real mountain that had a skyway ride going through the middle of it, have a high ridership capacity, be like no other roller coaster ever made, and have two separate rides that would twist
1: and turn around each other's paths. So, <laughs> simple. Yeah, that's <laughs> not a big ask. Only, what, eight eight things there? Yeah. <laughs> eight impossible things? <laughs> yeah.
0: Ed Morgan and Carl Bacon started to work and, along with Wed Imagineering, created a ride design that would revolutionize the roller coaster industry. The new ride system had three basic components, the track, the ride vehicle, and the ride control system, or RCS. The most groundbreaking feature was the use of tubular pipe rails instead of the traditional flat rails coasters had always used. Tubular track with bracing welded to the outside of the rails allowed for vehicle contact on the top surface by load-bearing polyurethane wheels. Guide wheels on the inside surface would control horizontal movement, and brass upstops on the bottom surface restricted vertical movement of the ride vehicle. With the ride vehicle connected to the rails on three surfaces, the track could twist and turn far beyond any coaster design. Since the steel pipe track was hollow, it could be pressurized. This would enable sensors to detect the slightest drop in pressure, signaling wear in the track. Other features included the chain lift at the beginning of the ride, anti-rollback ratchet ladders on the inclines, booster brake reels to maintain the bobsled speed, pressurized air brakes for safety in key areas, and glacial pools at the end of the ride to slow the bobsleds. The bobsled ride vehicles were just as revolutionary as the track. Like traditional coaster vehicles, the bobsleds are not motorized and rely on gravity for their movement. These bobsleds were single vehicles that four guests sitting single file in two pairs of double seats. The bobsled bodies were constructed out of fiberglass to make them light, flexible, and easily molded to the aerodynamic shape of a bobsled. With the tight, high banking turns and quick direction changes of the new style track, the wheel trucks of the bobsleds had to be of a new design. As described by Bob Gurr, from the top view, both trucks can turn on vertical pivots, but the rear truck can also pivot on a the, on the longitudinal axis to accommodate the twist as you go in and out of the turns. That means the entire roll stability of the bobsled is in the front track. Each bobsled has a molded front and rear cushion bumpers to absorb the minor bumps in the loading area. A keel plate known as a traction plate or platen was installed on the underside of each bobsled for almost the full length. The platen triggers track sensors for vehicle location and was the contact surface for the booster brake re- wheels and pneumatic brakes controlling the bobsled's speed. Because speed control relied on friction and had to be dependable, the platen surface was made of automotive brake lining material that would operate even when wet from rain or going through the glacial pools at the end of the ride. Then there is the new Morgan Bacon Bobsled Ride Control System, the RCS. This ride system was designed to increase ridership by allowing multiple bobsleds to operate safely at the same time on a closed-loop track. The Matterhorn bobsled attraction is actually two separate rides. Track A is to the left of the station control tower as you face the mountain, and track B is to the right. Each track is divided into three main regions, the station where guests load and unload, the lift where the bobsleds and passengers are carried to the top of the track, and the gravity region where the bobsleds hurtle back to the loading area. Control of the bobsleds during the ride is done on a brake zone-block zone concept. Each brake zone has a set of vehicle sensors and may have one or more vehicle brakes and booster brake wheels. An operating bobsled occupies two brake zones at one time, and a pair of brake zones makes up a block zone. If another vehicle enters an occupied block zone, it is considered an intrusion and the ride automatically shut down. As computer technology improved over the years, so did this ride control system. I had no, I did not have an appreciation for how complex an attraction can be until I researched the Matterhorn.
1: Yeah. I mean, the insane thing about it is I didn't realize that this was kind of the, I mean, well, as you just said here, this is the, uh, the new ride control system. And I mean, that's still essentially what is in place today on all these new rides that are built. I mean, I kind of talked about it a little bit with the test track episode that we did with, with that to the, you know, the, the, different zones are spaced out a little bit more and and with that too um you know that that ride has the ability to kind of slow itself down if they're starting to get backups but obviously if something's off a little bit in one of the zones then it'll cause the shutdown but i mean this is it's it's still a system that is just like grown and gotten even more complex so like when i worked at forbidden journey um you know, they they all ride on these KUKA robotic arms on these moving platforms. And if those are off a millimeter at any point in time, the entire thing shuts down, too. So it's uh, it, it's fascinating to know, like where this system really got its its start, because I just assumed it was one of those things that just was always around kind of while attractions were around. But I guess that wasn't the case.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. A, it's um, it's impressive that, yeah, it's still in use today. Yeah, really. So the Disneyland skyline began to change in 1959 as the Matterhorn Mountain rose. American Bridge, a steel fabrication company that specialized in bridge and high-rise structures, constructed the steel skeleton of the Matterhorn. It has been reported that none of the 2,175 steel pieces of the mountain were of the same length. There was no way to hide the construction of the 147-foot mountain, as the cranes lifted steel beams and welder sparks were visible, with an American Bridge banner hanging from the scaffolding. When the steel framework was completed, construction workers began working on the top of the Matterhorn, since that area did not house any of the ride mechanisms. They began cutting plywood forms to support and define the rockwork. And after the rockwork and snow for the mountain peak was complete, Arrow Development began installing the ride system. The track and bracing was intertwined in a complex labyrinth as welders, carpenters, plasterers, electricians, plumbers, and supervisors worked throughout the area to build this 1-100th recreation of the Matterhorn. Throughout the construction... Walt was there wearing a hard hat, checking not only on the progress of the Matterhorn, but also on the submarine voyage and monorail projects under construction at the same time. So this is amazing that three major projects were all going on in pretty much the same area of the park. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah. And they were all built in like a year. <laughs> <laughs> not anymore.
1: <laughs> no, no. <laughs>
0: When time came to test the bobsleds in the track, the first riders were large bags of sand. When it was time for live test riders, machine shop supervisors said to Bob Gurr, and this was um, Vic Green, who was the machine shop supervisor, and he said to Bob, you designed that track, now you can be the first to ride it. Now, Bob has always said he's never ridden the Matterhorn, that you could never get him on it. So, I don't know if he actually, you know, was the first one to ride it. Yeah. Yeah. So Now, soon, Vic Green, Joe Fowler, and Walt Disney boarded a bobsled and zoomed down the slopes of the Disneyland Matterhorn. Roger Brogy mounted a camera on the front of the bobsled to show less adventurous company executives what riding the attraction was like. So, Craig, this might be the first uh time a, p- a point of view video or film was taken of an attraction.
1: Yeah, I, it, it's got to be somewhere up there. I mean, obviously, probably the one of the first ones for Disney, but I feel like they might have did some roller coasters like uh, uh, maybe places like Coney Island and such before mm-hmm. that but I could be wrong on that. I'm trying to think back to like I used to I used to love watching like old documentaries on on all the different amusement parks and such that were around before Disney so I, I'm gonna look into that see if I can find an answer. yeah, the interesting. But you're probably right cuz I have seen old
0: documentaries and I'm sure there there must be some. I want to know uh, the first one, the one now though. Books. So. Yeah, yeah, who I, is the father of the point of view? Yeah, I shots? never thought about it.
1: In all my years of doing it, I never thought like I wonder where this started. Who was the first yeah. one to do it?
0: Yeah. But at least for Disneyland, most likely it's Roger Yep. Yeah. Yep. So look at that, you're sort of the, he was your predecessor.
1: <laughs> in that. Following in good footsteps. Yeah.
0: So during early test runs, the Imagineers spread a large amount of hay towards the end of the track to reduce the speed of the bobsleds as they sped back to the reloading area. Walt loved this effect during his test runs on the bobsleds, and I even read that he wanted to keep it in there. Um, But even though the bobsleds needed something to slow the speed of the bobsleds near the end of the track, Imagineers did not consider hay to be the permanent solution. The Imagineers replaced the hay with a pool of water meant to resemble glacial pools. And these pools sufficiently slowed the bobsleds and created the popular and often photographed bobsled splashdown. Work then moved on to the construction of the station and queue areas. The waterfalls were plumbed and plastered, more bobsleds were manufactured, and the lighting was installed. Then Disneyland landscaper Bill Evans, who was part of the project since the beginning, started the landscaping. During construction, Bill determined where areas for planting on the mountain needed to be created. Bill and his crew planted full-size live spruce trees at the lower elevation and planted progressively dwarfed trees as the elevation increased so that he used forced perspective to make the Matterhorn appear taller. Planting the dwarf spruce trees at the upper elevations was a bit harrowing, as each landscaper, along with a group of trees, would be lifted up in a bucket by a crane to the upper area of the mountain to plant the trees, and then the, <laughs> the landscaper would be lifted back down again. Flowers and other flora similar to what could be seen in Switzerland was planted around the base of the mountain. What Walt regarded as Disneyland's second grand opening was broadcast in a 90-minute television special titled Kodak Prevents Disneyland 59 on July 17, 1959, in which Walt Disney introduced his new attractions to the world. The celebration included a parade with antique cars, marching bands, and floats from around the world. Celebrities included Vice President Richard Nixon and his family, Art Linkletter, who is the host, Fred McMurray, and the Shaggy Dog, Zazu Pitts, Edgar Bergen, and Bob Cummings. Now that we're in Walt's Disneyland of 1959, let's take a ride on his new Matterhorn. We'll start with the 2,126-foot track A. The queue moves counterclockwise around the mountain. When we reach the turnstiles to the left of the control tower, the cast member asks us to give up one of our new e-coupons. With the addition of three new major attractions, Disneyland introduced a new e-coupon. The recorded instructions prepare us to ride safely and the painted diagrams overhead further explain the seating arrangements in the bobsled. We are instructed to stand on one of the numbers in the loading dock pavement as we prepare to board a four-seat bobsled. After we are strapped in, our bobsled moves up and stops for two seat belt checks. Then our brake relaxes and our bobsled begins its descent into a dark cavern in the base of the mountain. Our bobsled jerks as it hooks onto the chain lift, and we are pushed back in our seats as we begin a sharp 30-degree ascent to the top of the ride hill, and we hear the loud clanking of the anti-rollback mechanism. In contrast to the beautiful, snowy, and landscaped mountain exterior, the girders, beams, catwalks, and tracks are visible on the interior, making it clear this is the first thrill-ride roller coaster at Disneyland, if the screams of the guests didn't already clue you in. At the top of the hill, our bobsled disengages from the drive chain, and gravity takes control. We curve to the left and pick up speed as we head into a straightaway. Before making a quick left, race briefly with another bobsled, then exit the mountain for a quick look at Fantasyland on our right. We then head back inside, tur- turn right, and roll into a large dip into the track. In the track, we bank left then right, and we're outside looking over Tomorrowland. Another bobsled from track B is racing us on our left as we bank to the right, then right again. Now we are in the center of the Matterhorn with skyway buckets moving overhead on their cables. Next, we enter a sweeping left curve as the track slopes steeply downward, causing our bobsled to pick up speed for a glimpse of the new submarine lagoon. Another left, then right, takes us on a gradual clockwise trajectory on the outside, passing three waterfalls on our right, getting us a bit wet, before crossing over a rock bridge and careening into a double splash in one of the glacial pools at the foot of the Matterhorn. Soon after the mountain's debut... Walt Disney wanted mountaineers to climb the 147-foot Matterhorn to thrill guests. There are three different routes climbers can take to scale the mountain, all of them dangerous for novice climbers. Over the years, characters including Mickey Mouse and Goofy have scaled the mountain. Near the top of the Matterhorn, there is a room where the mountaineers changed in and out of their gear and cast members used as a break room. And this, yes, yes, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, kids of all ages, this is the location of the infamous basketball court, which is simply a basketball hoop hung on a beam and would not even be considered a half court in size. (laughs) (laughs) Not very exciting. No. And I did have the, the pleasure of seeing it in my mouse days working there. When we were taken up there and um, it is not the least bit impressive, believe me. <laughs> so, anyway, um, during the Christmas season from 1961 through 1972, a star measuring 24 feet across was added to the top of the Matterhorn. When lit at night, this could be seen for miles. This was such a huge tradition In
1: Anaheim and at Disneyland. I I love Uh, the photos I've seen of it, but obviously I never saw it in person, but oh, I wish, I wish they would bring it back.
0: I know. I remember. And you know, it's through the mountain out of scale, but you know, it was just, it was just one of those magical things that they added to the park Mm -hmm. during the holiday season. And yeah, it is too bad that for nostalgia purposes, they, um, Don't add it back for, like, let's say the 70th anniversary or something. Yeah. So, um, anyway, now, when the Matterhorn was built in 1959, the advertising described, and I'm quoting here, breathtaking views of alpine grottos and caverns inside. But as I've described, although gunite was sprayed on the interior, much of the coaster interior was visible to guests. Small changes are made to the attraction over the years, but in 1978, after a publicity campaign that asked, what's gotten into the Matterhorn, a reimagined Matterhorn bobsled attraction opened in June 1978. Guests found new ice caverns, snowstorms, tandem bobsleds, and three mysterious creatures lurking within the mountain. They also discovered the Matterhorn had somehow moved from Tomorrowland to Fantasyland. For cast members, the most significant change was the new two four-passenger bobsleds coupled together that doubled ridership. These new ride vehicles with some modifications were also used in the Magic Kingdom's Space Mountain attraction. For guests, what captured their imagination was the abominable snowman that now lived in the mountain. And I remember you could, well, you still can. You can hear him outside of the mountain too. Mm-hmm. But I remember when it was new, that was just so amazing. It was very captivating to walk by the Matterhorn and hear that. Yeah. Um, although the mountain is home to three creatures, riders on each side see the snowman twice. The first snowman riders, um, the first snowman that riders see can be viewed by both track A and B. Then each track has its own snowman later in the ride. Another significant change to the attraction was the removal of the skyway and sealing of the mountain in November 1994. Not only did they seal the, of course, the, um, entrances and exits for the Skyway. there were some other holes that um, they covered up where the big waterfalls were coming down because guests were getting a bit too wet mm. from them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was the 1995 edition of the Frank Wells Lost Expedition as a tribute um, to Walt Disney Company president Frank Wells after his death in a helicopter crash in 1994, who was an avid mountaineer. So now let's take a ride on the 2,238 feet of track B in the 1995 version of the Matterhorn bobsleds. So now when we come up to the turnstile, we no longer have to give up an e-coupon because the coupon books have been retired. Except for the new automatic gates, the station and queue are largely unchanged. We step into our tandem bobsled, go through the seatbelt checks and head into the dark gave, cave and then we clank up the hill. On our left, openings in the, through openings in the rockwork, we can see a bobsled on track A also clanking up the hill as we pass a flurry of projected snowflakes. At the top of the hill, we take a sharp right and start picking up speed. We catch a glimpse of the glowing red eyes of the snowman and hear him roar as we speed into a cavern of shimmering white, pale blue and purple ice crystal stalactites and stalagmites. We turn right, then left, and head outside where we catch a quick peek of the white and gold facade of It's a Small World in the far reaches of Fantasyland. Back inside, we have a close encounter with the abominable snowman, who had become affectionately known as Harold to cast members and guests. His arms are waving menacingly at us as strobe lights illuminate his blue face and white fur. The snowman roars at us as we race to the left and after a series of turns and dips we re-enter the ice crystal cavern. Now this large cavern is the former pass-through for the skyway. We head back To the left, head outside, and go back inside and take a sharp right. We catch a quick glimpse of Sleeping Beauty Castle, speed back inside, take a dip, and are on the straightaway with the bobsled from track A on our right. Now we're outside, take another dip, and pass the waterfall. All this time, the snowman has been following us down the mountain because we see him again on our left. As we continue our downward spiral inside and outside the Matterhorn, passing two more waterfalls as we go under a bridge into the splashdown in track B's glacial pool. We enter the mountain again as we head back to the loading area. So, Craig,
1: do you have a preference over track A or track B when you ride it? I don't really actually have a preference at all. Um, I I just don't go on it enough to really enjoy one side more than the other, and I feel like I always get stuck on the side with um. Well, I guess before it would have been FastPass, but now with Ginny Plus, because it was like they always showed priority to to that side for everyone, and oh well, everyone in the sense that I. Only really did Matterhorn if I had a fast pass for it. So, um, that I, yeah, I, I, I ultimately don't care though. It's, mm-hmm. it's both sides are fun. They are. I tend
0: to like the Fantasyland side more. I think because we, you get to see a little more on the outside.
1: But, um, it's yeah, rare. I like both. Yeah, <laughs> it's rare that I'm not holding a camera when I ride it because even though I have probably 15 videos of the Matterhorn I could pull from it any given second. I always like have this freak out moment that, okay, I need to film it again. So I think I've maybe only paid attention to it like five times my entire life.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: But, um, I, I always, I'm, it's nice now that they run
0: both sides because of well genie plus and all that because for a long time they would only run one side and it's exciting to have the other bobsled running on you know so as if you're racing you know on
1: the other side on the other track yeah that's that's my favorite part of matterhorn actually is when you have those moments where they're just a little staggered it's never side by side (laughs) enough to touch but um you know you're just you're you're passing along the same side as the other bobsled. It's it's just a cool, cool little moment. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah.
0: Now, in 2012, the Matterhorn underwent another large renovation, which included repainting and resculpting parts of the mountain exterior to achieve a greater sense of realism, with the new snow painted in a way to feel more naturally spread on the mountain, and with beads of glass mixed in to give the snow a shimmering effect. Uh, I think they also redid uh, the landscaping, especially in the upper elevations, because I think some of the dwarf spruce had um, lived out their lifespan in there. The Matterhorn also received new bobsleds and a renovated queue area. One of the old bobsleds was donated to the National Roller Coaster Museum. The Matterhorn underwent another major refurbishment in 2015. This renovation included the addition of new Yeti animatronic figures with a more fluid range of motion and with a more menacing appearance. But if you miss the old Herald, you can visit him at Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout in Disney California Adventure. The gaps on the lift hill where you could view the bobsled on the next track were filled in with a thin layer of ice, and the snowman now peers through that ice as he climbs the mountain to stalk the bobsleds. The cast, the crystal cavern scene was replaced with a wrecked camp of some unlucky mountaineers with large footprints leading to their equipment, and it now includes two of the original bobsleds, as well as a 1959 um, Skyway bucket. In 2019, the Disneyland Matterhorn attraction closed for refurbishment after a large portion of the Matterhorn bobsleds rock work broke loose. It later reopened after the refurbishment was complete. Sadly, there have been two deaths on the Matterhorn bobsleds. Fifteen-year-old Mark Maples was killed on the Matterhorn in May 1964 when he unbuckled his seatbelt and tried to stand up as the bobsled approached the peak. He lost his balance, fell onto the track below, and crushed his skull. He was the first fatality in Disneyland history. Dolly Regine Young, who is age 48, was killed on January 3rd, 1984, when she was thrown from her bobsled and hit by another bobsled on a different track. And in reading this report, I believe that officials think somebody unlatched her um, seatbelt. Oh, gosh. And the, and the seatbelts were redesigned um, as part of a refurbishment after this. How terrifying. So, yeah. Currently, there are rumors that the ongoing closures and refurbishments of the Matterhorn are due to the interior decay of the mountain. It is believed that Disney Imagineers are working on the decaying supports in stages and replacing tracks in order to maintain the same um, footprint of the attraction. There has been speculation on social media that the Matterhorn may be re-themed to a Frozen attraction, especially after the announcement that Splash Mountain will be re-themed to Princess and the Frog. And I hope that that uh, Frozen re-theming never happens.
1: I, I, I mean, that one is such a stretch. Like, I understand that <laughs> we can go the whole mountain-snow route. You could technically put uh, Marshmallow... the big Mm -hmm. giant monster that we see at the end of frozen ever after and you know it it, it, technically you could make it work but just because you can make it work doesn't mean you should try (laughs) i agree i agree and it's already based on an ip third man on the mountain it's on disney plus yep know,
0: but anyway but, and Craig, since you are a big fan of films based on attractions like The Country Bears and The um, Haunted Mansion, you would be interested in knowing that on June 29, 2011, the Walt Disney Studio announced an adventure movie inspired by the Matterhorn with Jason Dean Hall attached to write the script and Justin Springer as producer titled The Hill. According to The Hollywood Reporter, the idea behind the hill is to do a thrilling, fast-paced movie centering on five young adventure seekers who, for mysterious reasons, are called to, to the top of the mountain and encounter a yeti on the journey down. And, but don't despair, Craig, because on April twenty second, 2021, Disney announced they were reviving this project for Disney+.
1: I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> Just you know, uh, I'll add it to the list of things that I'm. I'm still waiting for that. Uh, I don't think I'll ever see like the Big Thunder Mountain Railroad TV series on ABC. It's, oh yes, I remember that. So there's been so many. I mean, of course the the most famous one will always be the Guillermo del Toro's version of the haunted mansion that Mm -hmm. we will never ever ever see but hey fingers crossed it's a crazy world we live in it is but i'm i'm thinking after the success
0: of the jungle cruise film that they might be going back and looking for more yeah attraction themed film
1: projects i i could see this one working especially if they do get a a big name actor like you know jungle cruise had plenty Plenty to go around with The Rock and and Emily Blunt and and uh, Jesse Plemons, Paul Giamatti. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. So I, if you get the right cast, I can definitely see them being able to do it. But uh, i i get I get nervous if they're reviving the original, uh, the original idea of five young adventure seekers. Then I worry that it's like, okay, maybe there will be one like. Not I don't want to say B list celebrity, but one, you know, older actor who's probably gonna wrangle five kids that you want to strangle the entire time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hope not.
0: So So anyway, now some people say that the uh, the uh um expedition everest attraction over at animal kingdom in florida is sort of the the, the
1: florida's version walt
0: disney world's version of the
1: matterhorn
0: so what are your thoughts
1: on that Craig? i mean i always disagree with that because i mean our version of the matterhorn is our space mountain i know space mountain is also at disneyland but in terms of like the ride track system and the type of turning, uh, the entire style of that steel coaster, it's that our space mountain is Matterhorn in a way, like the next, the next progression from it. So I, I consider those two one in the same. And I do love that, you know, Expedition Everest took the theming to the next level, but I, it also, does scent in the ways too, like it is just so so respectful to the cultures of the himalaya mountain regions and and such, whereas like with the Matterhorn, you know, it's hearing all the uh you know the alpine style music and such. it's just it it's too complete it, while they're both mountains, they're just two complete different things in my view, but i I understand why people. Try to lump them together, but it's just it I don't do that No, hmm
0: I think they're two completely different attractions based on two different cultures now that they are two different mountains, and they they each house yetis and um but um, yeah, I think they're they're different completely mm-hmm. so um but anyway but and and of course, <laughs> Disneylanders like to brag you know how our yetis work.
1: Yeah, <laughs> they do. I mean, but they've also gotten love over the years, mm-hmm. and so uh, it it actually, you know, it, it's able, it's able to continue working. So I I I will give Disneyland full credit on having the working Yetis.
0: Yeah, yeah. So
1: I I always have a funny story about
0: Matterhorn, and and it, it's Carol and I. This was years and years ago after the refurbishment where the yetis were put in and all that and before we had it it was just carol and i there and we um (laughs) we we were in the front of the tent and bobsleds and and in the second tent and bobsleds were um it was a family uh uh, two two women and um that always assumed were sisters or, or friends or something and then their children and these were full, this is a full figured family. Let's just put it that way. Every member. And I, I have no idea how they managed to get into one bobsled. All of them. And then, and so we get down for that. The seatbelt, the last seatbelt check when you're right at the cavern entrance. And this, and the, the cast member just says to me and Carol, cause we're in the front, good luck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? <laughs> and he, he said, this runs on gravity. <laughs> and I thought, what does he mean? <laughs> well, we, all the weight was in the back of this bobsled. We get to the top. We were going so fast. I thought we were going to pass the bobsled in front of us. I really did. Oh, wow. When we took those bank curves, oh, my gosh. But what made it fun, and I apologize because I'm now quoting the women in this. So I, I don't mean to use God's name in vain. But the whole way down, at the top of their lungs, they are screaming, Oh, Lord Jesus! Jesus Christ! The whole way down. The whole way down the mountain at the top of their lungs. Carol and I couldn't stop laughing because this was, first of all, the wildest ride. We were going so fast that I swear, I thought we were taking four wheels on the turn um, <laughs> on those bank turns. And then the women, and apparently they could be heard from all around the park because when we did that glacial splashdown, and I got wet in that glacial splashdown. um, Everybody in the queue and all that were all just looking at us and laughing. And oh, I just think of that with such delight, that ride. And and those, those I don't know if those women ever got on it again. The children had a great yeah. time. But I don't know if those moms ever got back on that attraction.
1: That's yeah, <laughs> so funny. Yeah, I it I, is. My only uh, my only fun story like that too is one that I've I've told probably on this show and other places, but it was just one night that we were there for, uh, Diz coverage and, and I, Mary Joe was with us and I, I can't, I know Rhino was there and I think it might have been, uh, you know, some of the older members of our team, Tyler and Katrina. And, uh, we got on Matterhorn and went around and we, uh, got pulled off to the side as they were, um, they were dealing with like one of the not a track switch but when they're kind of switching out the the vehicles in the station so we got pulled off to the side and because we sat there for a couple minutes just sitting when they finally put our track back on then they were saying okay well do you want to ride again and I said yeah sure of course but uh, you know in hindsight it was a terrible decision for uh two reasons i mean first it's like matterhorn back to back is intense. Um it is. it's I I know I did it I think four times in a row at the press event for the sixtieth anniversary because that's when they finally showed off all the the changes that they had made during that refurb. And so I was trying to get lots of footage of it. So I just kept riding it over and over and over to make sure I had everything I needed. Uh but yeah so it, it definitely painful. But then on top of that too something about the vehicle that we were in just it had it it was unlucky for us in a way that then when we went down the splashdown the next time uh rhino just got soaked with a wave that came up and over so it was uh it was pretty hilarious so it wasn't bad for me but it was uh it was bad for him and uh yeah, that's, that's only similar one, but I, I have so many good memories of the Matterhorn. I remember doing it on our trip to Disneyland in 1999. Like this was, th- that was the attraction that my dad was talking up the most of everything that we're going to do in Disneyland. It's, it's the Matterhorn. That's unique. And so we have to go do the Matterhorn. So a great memory of doing it back then. I remember during one of the years that we were uh, doing our coverage. I think you were part of this one. Maybe it was around like 2016 that y'all got to keep riding uh, the rides over and over again with um, with someone filming you on it. And, oh yes! And I got to stand <laughs> where the splashdown was in like a special area, so I got a shot of y'all coming down. I think you were on that one. Um, yeah,
0: and yeah. we could go on. Both sides back to back. Yeah. Yep. For that one. And that was, I was fine on that. But then we had to ride multiple times in a row on California screaming. Yeah. That was horrible. (laughs) I only did that twice. Yeah. But, and I remember Rhino did it three times.
1: Yeah. And I wasn't even with you guys for that one. I can't remember what else I was doing, but that was cool to be able to stand at the splashdown area. Like not, not where everyone else can take their pictures and stuff, but actually like I was, you know, I was six inches away from the ride track. So if I was irresponsible, I could have really hurt myself so much that I had to hand over my ID to the uh, people in the control booth just in case anything happened. And, Um. Yeah, that's, you know, those are my big ones. And I I I wish I would have gotten more photos and videos of it. But I remember this first couple trips I took to Disneyland in 2013 and 2014. They were still having the mountain climbers at that time. Mm -hmm. And I miss seeing them so much. Just one of those special little things that when you caught them climbing the mountain, it it was it, it was magical. Like, it added the entire realism to the entire attraction being there. And, uh, you know, I I doubt there's there's a budget anymore in the new Disney that we're living in for people to just randomly climb the Matterhorn. But it was so cool when you had the chance to see it. It was. It was. And you're right. It just added just so much to it.
0: I mean, you know, just like the live entertainment does, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and...
1: You know, it's too bad they don't bring back things like that. One day. One day yeah. someone will scale that mountain again. Maybe it'll be me. It won't be. <laughs> Let's hope so. <laughs> yeah. Well, Walt Disney
0: believed that the attractions at Disneyland should provide a unique experience for guests. And, well, if you want to ride a bobsled down the Matterhorn, it's not Switzerland you're going to be going to. It is going to be Disneyland. And now it's time For this week in Disney history.
1: All right, Craig, you'll have to tell us who goes first this week. Okay. I I know you're going to be upset with me on this one, but I completely forgot. But (laughs) I'm prepared to go first. I think I went first last time. Because then you, I, I think I went first. Okay, yeah. so it's me this time. Yeah. Alrighty.
0: Well, mine, mine is a real simple one. April 10th, 1927. Walt Disney, on this date, delivered the first Oswald the Lucky Rabbit cartoon, entitled Poor Papa, to distributor Charles Mintz in New York. So this was the beginning of the dynasty. This is the very first cartoon. And of course, Charles Mintz didn't care for it. He didn't like how, um, Oswald looked. It had to be redone. And, uh, and actually then poor Papa was, I think, released a little later. And, um, be- f- because, um, you know, they were released out of order. Um Ultimately, when we talked about Oswald, because then they sort of retooled what the rabbit looked like, and then it confused people, because some of the ones that were drawn earlier were released later, and Oswald looked different back then. But this is it. This is Walt is getting his start in animation that would lead to big times.
1: Okay. So, April 10th, 1927 that that's a really good one and i feel like i'm actually not going to let us down this week with a uh, with a simple one it's not about my favorite 90s tv shows or movies but uh <laughs> you know, we'll we'll get back to that i'm sure one day but uh, my choice was something that i feel like just had to be mentioned uh, because it it's a big anniversary uh, on april 12th of 1992 that is when the euro disney resort and of course euro disneyland which is now disneyland paris that is when it had its grand opening and with 1992 that's it is the thirtieth anniversary, and that celebration has already kicked off at Disneyland Paris, and I'm sure we'll be running, you know, the standard uh, Disney length of somewhere between twelve and eighteen months that you'll get to enjoy that celebration. But uh, I am, I, I am. We're really anxious to get back to Disneyland Paris some at some point in time. And I, I'm, I would love to be able to get out there for the 30th because seeing like the drones as part of their Illuminations nighttime show form the 30, like it just, it looks so cool. And, you know, I was there for the 25th anniversary. Uh, well. I wasn't there, uh, technically, I was there in the 26th year, but the celebration was still going on from the 25th anniversary, so Mm -hmm. I I think it would be cool if I can kind of keep hitting it on these kind of milestone years when I actually get to visit that park, but I I doubt I'm going to make it during this celebration, but uh, 30 years, uh, a big accomplishment, so the, the little Disneyland Paris resort that could.
0: Absolutely, it's such a beautiful park. I would love to go there when most, when you know, when it's all open. So I have to hit that season if they if they ever have a time when all areas of the park are open. I think they just recently released some of the
1: concept art for their expansion areas. Yeah, I feel like I saw a. um, It was an update, maybe on the frozen section, uh, Mm -hmm. because we're getting close to when Avengers Campus is going to be opening out there. So, yeah. I, and I don't remember what else was set I for think the expansion. A, a promenade, a landscaped oh. promenade connecting the parks. That's right. And, um, and of course, their, uh, their, um, Disney Village is getting a refresh as well, too um so that needs a refresh (laughs) it absolutely does (laughs) um but with when i was there i was in the park so early and so late that i didn't even have time to enjoy anything at disney village not that there really was anything i mean the the wild wild west show that shut down is isn't even available anymore but i know there's like a good a good german restaurant there that my friends Mm -hmm. always tell me about but uh, yeah, maybe, maybe the first time I'll have time to enjoy Disney Village. It'll be after it's all done and freshened up.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I definitely that's the park I think I want to return to the most. Is is that one? Yeah. So hopefully someday, someday. All right. Well, we just want to remind folks, as we have been doing, about discon. And they they announced this week, uh, oh, this con is, uh, I probably should say when it is, but they, and I, I will do that in just a moment, but they did announce uh, another celebrity is going to be there. And um, that is, I'm scrolling through all the information I have. Uh, how did she say her name? Hadassah? I believe it is Hadassah, yes. Hadessa, okay. She's of course, is the voice of Dolores in Ocanto. And it'll be interesting to see if they get anyone else um, there. And that's along with, uh, of course, they'll have an Aladdin 30th anniversary reunion with Linda Larkin and Jonathan Freeman. There's a Phineas and Ferb reunion with all kinds of... Um, v- um, Voice, um, artists and singers from that. Bear in a Big Blue House 25th anniversary reunion. And then Tony Baxter, Pat Sajak, Brian Collins, who's a show writer in Imagineering for many attractions, including the Great Movie Ride. And, and all kinds of other folks will be there as well, as well as there'll be panels and there'll be, um, vendors and, uh, and all kinds of an auction apparently all kinds of stuff so let's see here and of course that is in september so and september 30th and thank you october october 1st because then there's an after hours event in epcot over in um Over and it's going to cover the Morocco, the France, and the um, United Kingdom pavilions in there too. Am I missing a pavilion? I I I believe you got it all. No. Okay. All right. So great. So so definitely tickets are on sale. Craig will have a link in our show notes. Uh, Craig, I was so excited. I got an email saying I am qualified to attend an an annual pass holder preview of Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind cuz apparently I have park reservations and all that for one of
1: those days that they're doing a preview. Yeah, very cool. I'm I'm super excited uh that they're going to be able to go through all the DVC and annual pass holder previews. I believe they were doing a uh, a D23 event for it too. I'm not sure if that sold out. I I actually saw it right before we started recording and figured if it was hours old at that point, then it would probably already was sold out. But uh, yeah, probably. I, <laughs> I enjoy that it's another uh, another opening similar to how they handled Remy's Ratatouille Adventure, where it, it actually had time for previews and such before getting to that grand opening. It's just, you know, for... For these repeat visitors, the annual pass holders, DVC members, it's just it—it it feels like it's a little bit of a a present to us that mm-hmm. it's like, yay, things aren't always good, but we try to take care of you when we can, and obviously, Guardians of the Galaxy: Cosmic Rewind is going to be the biggest ticket at epcot for a while um i i just don't know how it's not between the popularity of guardians of the galaxy with the fact that it's the first roller coaster at epcot and it, it's just it it's all lining up for it and the height requirement only being 42 inches that's really generous uh for for a thrill ride so it's uh it, it definitely not too intense. So I I think it's going to be massive, and uh, so it's nice that we're going to get into have the chance to get in there early before it gets too crazy.
0: Yeah, yeah, that will be exciting. Okay. So anyway, and then um, we want to let folks know. I did get a question or two about this. Is that there's a we about are we going to have another Q&A episode? And we are. So, Craig, did you want to talk a little about that?
1: Yeah, we uh, we're actually and we're probably going to announce it right after this next. But uh, this is our last episode for uh, this season of Connecting with Walt. And we are taking a brief break to uh, catch up on making sure that the episodes can be is as, as best as they can possibly be so because of that yeah we're taking a little bit of time off just like we did uh, last year and we'll we'll do every 13 weeks or so uh, and during this little brief break we are going to take questions so we can start to build up a question and answer episode or two for you when we return uh, the first week of june i believe June 3rd is the exact date that we said that we'll be back, but uh, during that time, absolutely want to start taking your questions, so that way, if there's any research that needs to be done on the questions, that can uh, that can provide us enough time to do so. And if you're a newer listener, the way we handle our question and answer episodes, uh, we basically put out a post on Facebook that will say, hey... We are taking your questions, and if you're wondering what our Facebook is, we release episode information and the question and answers through our Diz Unplugged Facebook group. So it's facebook.com slash Diz Unplugged. D-I-S-U, I almost just said unplugged out loud. <laughs> D-I-S-U-N-P-L-U-G-G-E-D. And that's where, uh, that's where that will be. And I always make sure that I pin the post to the top of that page so that way you can find it. And basically, uh, the way it goes is you can ask us any question about Walt Disney, Imagineers, theme parks, movies, TVs, Books, music, anything that falls in the Disney realm, you can feel free to ask us. Uh, just, uh, as always, we try to say, uh, just try to actually ask us questions that are thorough uh, with the... Thorough in the way we can respond. So not just a simple yes or no question for us. That's not very interesting. So give us something that we can uh, dig into a little bit and have a little discussion around. And then, of course, the biggie that we always have to mention Please do not ask us any questions about what do we think Walt would think of this or that or that or this. We don't know what Walt would think about anything. No one knows what Walt would think about anything. The only person who would know is Walt and we've put in multiple requests and he's not coming back to do our podcast, <laughs> unfortunately. So, uh, we are, we're just going to have to kind of sit back and, and, uh, you know, answer other questions that aren't necessarily about that. But uh, we will start taking questions on Monday, April 11th. I will make sure that the post goes out on facebook.com slash disunplugged sometime on Monday, April 11th. And we will keep it open until around May 6th. You know, you can always throw in some questions after that. But if for some chance Michael and I already record an episode, your questions might not make it on there. But, uh, you should have plenty of time. That's, that's basically an entire month to ask questions and yeah. you'll have to listen for it in our next season.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if I I will always post a message in there saying that I've grabbed all the questions and that I won't be looking for more, mm-hmm. so that you'll know that if you post a question after that, I'm not going to see it. Yep. So anyway, but during the hiatus, you know, this is a good chance to go back and listen to to older episodes of of the show, and of course get to I'll get to see you and so will Craig on the dis cruise. Coming up in May, and I will be at Walt Disney World before and after the cruise. So be sure to say hello and all that. I'll be in the parks wandering around and stuff like that. So it's going to be a fun couple of months. Yeah. It will be. It will be. And we want to wish everyone who celebrates a happy Passover and a happy Easter mm-hmm. as well. I used several resources for this episode, um, including the e-ticket magazine number 42 on Disneyland's Matterhorn bobsleds. Some websites and articles included the Walt Disney Family Museum blog artifactual on the mighty Matterhorn. The Disney Wiki on Matterhorn bobsleds, Inside the Magic, What's Happening with the Matterhorn? Um, sfgate.com, What Disneyland is Doing to Repair a Crumbling Matterhorn. Park Hopper, The History of the Matterhorn at Disneyland, and Disneyland Public Affairs, Disneyland Resort donates Matterhorn bobsleds to National Roller Coaster Museum. They also donated the California Screaming sign Mm. at the same time. It's in that public affairs notification. And The Hollywood Reporter, Disney prepping adventure movie based on Matterhorn Ride. And that was an exclusive back Mm -hmm. in the day. So, So, Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you?
1: As always, you can find me on the different episodes and shows that I'm on on the Diz Unplugged podcast network. You can find me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Telecluster. And you can always email me, craig at wdwinfo.com. What about you, Michael? You can send me messages at Michael at
0: WDWinfo.com, Twitter I'm at M Bowling121, Facebook at Michael bowling Dash Connecting with Walt, Instagram, Michael bowling the Diz, and you can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at ConnectingWalt. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes on the link Craig includes in our show notes or at Disneyplug.com. Look for past episodes connecting with Walt on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Pandora, and Amazon podcasts, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings when possible.